everyone. Welcome to Humane Voices. I'm Carrie, and today my host is Alex Wichert. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Carrie. Um, I'm really glad you're here. Um, you can support me as we talk through this incredibly disgusting issue that we're talking about today. It's a tough thing. Um, and I'm hoping you can introduce today's topic and guests. Certainly. Thank you. Recently, an undercover investigation by Born Free USA and the Humane Society of the United States, as well as Humane Society International, found the brutal killing of an assortment of animals caught in leg hold traps. In essence, a team of two men drive around in their pickup truck, checking their traps to see what they've caught. When they come across an animal still alive and in their trap, they hit them with a baseball bat or a heavy stick on their head, sometimes killing the animal, sometimes not. It's very gruesome. We want to speak about how widespread this cruel practice is and find out what we can do to stop it. Today, our guests are Jill Fritz, Senior Director, Wildlife Protection Team at the Humane Society of the United States, and Dr. Liz Tyson, Programs Director, Born Free USA. Thank you both for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Um, this investigation, this footage is just so disturbing. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks don't see this sort of stuff. Um, the, the sort of way that we interact with wildlife here in the United States, it's just tremendously disturbing. And I, I'm really hoping that some of our listeners can sort of work up the stomach to see some of the footage. Uh, it's really hard to watch, but it's a it's a really important thing to sort of expose and just be aware is happening. I'm curious. I'm hoping um, y'all can speak to this a little bit. Like, who are the folks doing this kind of stuff? I, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's incredible that I think for a lot of folks are just going to find it hard to even see. And the idea that, that folks are actually doing this, it's it's a little bit hard to comprehend. So I'm wondering if you can give us some context. Of course. Um, so in our, um, in our investigation, we asked our investigator, and just to say, I agree with you, Carrie, the, the people who go out in the field and do these kinds of investigations have my absolute respect because I don't think I could do it. Um, so our investigator went to the convention, the National Trappers Convention in Iowa this year, or last year, sorry, last summer, and basically was kind of touting around for somebody to take him out on the trap lines. He found that very, very easily. This wasn't a case of us, you know, spending months and months trying to find somebody who was doing this. This is widespread across many, many states across the US. Um, our estimates would be that there are between, I think it's 95,000 and 145,000 current trapping licenses. And the reason there's a gray area between that is because some licenses are given for say hunting and trapping or fishing and trapping. So we're in the, you know, over 100,000 trappers are likely to be active at any one time in the US. And that doesn't include government agencies. Now, over 100,000 is certainly, without question, a large number, but that doesn't really get the question of where these furs actually end up. Could you speak more about where they are actually going when all these trappers are in effect doing this work? And also how much money can be made from, from this kind of activity? The short answer is that the pelts are usually sold to overseas fur markets, mm -hmm. um, basically. But I, I couldn't tell you exactly how much money they're making. It depends on the species uh, and, and the pelts. Uh, but uh, I can tell you that the demand for the fur itself is basically evaporating and, and the fur market is bottoming out. This supply is outpacing the demand. And mm -hmm. uh, really remarkably, uh, a huge list of, uh, of prominent fashion designers and apparel companies now are rejecting fur, uh, including uh, Prada, Armani, Versace, Michael Kors, Jimmy Choo. 
Burberry, Chanel, Alexander McQueen, um, uh, Dolce & Gabbana. Uh, recently, the fashion magazine Elle announced that it will no longer be using or advertising fur products or using fur in its photo shoots. And uh, just a couple of months ago, one of Russia's largest fur retailers announced that it would be closing its factory and selling its remaining stock hmm. because of declining sales. And, and that's particularly important because a lot of uh, these pelts uh, from these animals killed by trappers in the U.S. are going to Russia or China or other markets. So, Jill, I'm curious, like if so many I mean, I, I know that we've seen incredible success with a lot of these major sort of labels getting out of this and sort of recognizing what a brutal industry it is. What is driving uh, the, the, the people continuing to do this? Like if, if they're not be able to sort of sell these furs? Um, I, I could not speak really to what their motivation is for going out and setting uh, these uh, mm. completely indiscriminate. Uh, spring-loaded pieces of metal and wire to capture animals and then, uh, drown them or beat them to death or shoot them yeah. uh, for a few dollars. Um, I I could not say. Well, I, I know <laughs> you mentioned the... Sorry, Liz, go ahead, please. Yeah, our, our invest- we asked our investigator that. Um, we we kind of interviewed him after after the investigation, and what he said to us, he he got a real sense that there is a sense of kind of pride and heritage in trapping. There is mm-hmm. a sense that this is kind of almost a you know a sort of way of life thing that they feel is some kind of artistry mm-hmm. that is a is a kind of dying practice that they need to maintain. Um, and I think also. He said, he said, he put it really bluntly and he said, a lot of them are just doing it for fun. So the sale of the pelts after the fact is something that they will continue to do while they can still do it. But I think one of the things that we are very clear about from our evidence is that even if the first sales do completely drop off, we do think the trapping will continue because money isn't the main motivator hmm. for this. It does seem like an extremely cruel hobby for most Ugh. people. Yuck. God. Um, you know, Jill, you mentioned the sort of indiscriminate um, nature of these traps. I mean, when I was watching the footage, it really struck me. I mean, what's to prevent, you know, a wandering pet from from getting into one of these things? I mean, is there anything to prevent a wandering pet from getting into one of these things? Uh, no, there isn't. And uh, as, as we said, uh, these are indiscriminate pieces of spring-loaded mm. metal and, and uh, wires, snare traps are often used, which are uh, wired loops uh, that no. capture animals so unfortunately it is very likely does that, it happen a uh, lot i mean uh well i mean technically states are not required most states are not required to report um, wow so we don't even uh, know trappers. how often it's happening basically uh, there have been a couple of studies some um some research has found that as many as 18 what they call non-target animals are captured in certain traps to the one targeting that is captured in that trap. So it can happen a lot. And you saw in the investigation footage from Born for USA uh, that a domestic cat was among the animals uh, in the piles mm. that was trapped. But uh, they, they often capture what, what they call non-target animals. And that can include, of course, your pets, but also raptors, threatened and endangered species, and uh, even mothers and their young. And, um, like I said, the, the trappers in, in most states are not required to report uh, when they capture these uh, so-called non-target animals in the trap. Wow. Would you have any data then, Jill or Dr. Liz, on how many animals in total are killed like this each year in the U.S.? 
In total, um, the, the data that is available would suggest that around 3 million animals are killed in traps each year. And those are the ones whose skins then go on to be sold. So that doesn't include government agency trapping. It doesn't include non-reported, non-target trapping. So that really is a minimum. Um, those, are, those are the pelts that are ending up in auction, but we know that there is likely to be a lot more going on um, which is either not done for the for the purpose of selling the fur, or is just not reported and doesn't make it onto those sheets. Right, and you take you take those numbers, and you obviously link that to the fact that I would imagine there's a great deal of suffering involved when getting caught in a trap itself. Absolutely, and I think that was something that you know the trapping industry goes to great lengths to talk about how traps have been improved, how that they're now quote unquote humane. And then honestly, the, the footage from our investigation, like you said, Carrie, it's very difficult to watch. We do implore people to watch it if they feel they can, because it just, it lays bare what really happens. These are terrified animals. They are injured animals. They are animals who are in that moment suffering and who are caused more suffering um, in the way that they're killed. There was a fox who had been caught in a snare um, or sorry, in a foothold trap and had then, we think, been killed by coyotes. And in their struggle to get out of the trap, their leg had snapped clean through. I mean, you can't, I can't imagine the level of suffering that they go through. And then when we add into that, that they're wild animals, they're not accustomed to be around humans. They're not accustomed to be held captive in that way. So just the level of stress, not stress, not just the fear in the moment and the injury, but everything combined is there is absolutely no way that trapping can ever be described as humane. Can I ask a little more about that? I mean, I'm, I'm curious yeah. about, you know, in terms of how the folks doing this kind of defend it. I mean, in theory, or do they do they say that they, you know, get to the trap in a certain amount of time? I mean, what are the chances that an animal is left in one of these things for hours or days while it is in intense pain? Very high. Mm. Um, we did a previous investigation which looked at the regulatory landscape of trapping across the US. Um, and I don't have all of the data for the states off the top of my head, but we looked at trap check times and the kind of the better states have a rule where traps need to be checked once every 24 hours. I mean, that would be very difficult, if not impossible to enforce, but some states have 72 hours. Um, and I think a few states still don't have trap check times. Of course, enforcing that legislation, who knows how that is possible when it's being carried out over, you know, swathes of, of huge areas of land um, and it's not really being monitored. But I think that's, yeah, so animals could be in there for 24 hours in a best case scenario. And in some states, it, it could be three days or more. And uh, in states like Oregon, it can, uh, in certain types of traps, animals can be left for up to 30 days. Oh, my God, that's so disturbing. Mm. Um, another important thing to keep in mind, though, is, is no matter what the design of the trap is, whether it's a snare or a leg hold trap or a box trap or uh, what they call a conibear or body crushing trap, no matter what kind of trap it is, the ultimate fate of the animals is always the same, and that's death. And it can be by bludgeoning, drowning, chest compression, uh, stomping, or strangulation, which are methods that they use to avoid damage in the fur for sale. You've just provided some very sobering and disturbing examples and illustrations of what goes on in those traps. I suppose, really, to emphasize this point, could either you speak again just at how? common this is? I know you gave some numbers earlier, but how common are these types of torturous experiences in the U.S.? 
So, I mean, millions of animals every year being subjected to them. And so, so common that you could go on online platforms and buy one of these traps with, you know, a click of a button. Um, the access to trapping, the access to trapping licenses is, is it's extremely easy. Um, and what we actually found as well in the last couple of years, because obviously with the pandemic and people not being able to carry out their favorite pastimes indoors and being encouraged to, you know, be outside, that was how we could, that was how we could be sociable during those times. We found that a number of states which already had high hunting, trapping uh, license issues actually reported record sales of licenses during the pandemic because people were, you know, getting outdoors more and, that was what many people chose to do. So there's been an influx of new trappers um, who've chosen to do that to, I guess, fill their time during the pandemic. There, there is a little ray of light, though, in that um, leg hold traps in particular have, have been denounced worldwide. And uh, they've been banned or severely restricted in more than 100 countries worldwide. Uh, including the UK. And here in the US, nine US states have already uh, enacted partial or complete bans on the use of label traps um, uh, across the country, Arizona, California, Colorado, Florida, Hawaii, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and Washington. Mm. Um, now, other methods can be sometimes used in those states. Some still allow the use of snares or in Colorado, they allow uh, bobcats to be trapped in box traps and then killed by trappers for their fur. Um, but uh, more and more states are, are uh, most recently in New Mexico, are, are stepping up and banning uh, the use of certain traps. Mm. Well, that's a small ray of light. I, I'm glad mm -hmm. to hear that. I mean, in, in, in speaking of sort of like a global context, I mean, this, this investigation was specific to the United States. Uh, are, are there places, are there other places where this is still an issue? Are there places that have banned this kind of practice? There are, um, as, as Jill just said, you know, there's over 100 countries around the world who have banned um, or, or very, very um, strictly restricted leg hold traps mm -hmm. and those kind of traps. And they, amongst those, we've got Costa Rica, China, Iraq, Sudan, all of the members of the European Union, Mexico, Peru, Guatemala, the list goes on. So it's not that it's just an issue for the US, but the US, I think, as, as a country which rightly in many ways would consider itself a leader in you know, uh, you know, the Endangered Species Act is a fabulous piece of legislation, a nation who cares for animals, um, a nation who would consider itself to have high standards, then definitely the US is being left behind on this issue. I did want to return briefly before we continue looking at uh, perhaps hopefully some progress on this issue. Just another clarification point. We did talk about earlier how pets can be captured, how other animals can be caught in these traps, but just for more information about the, the mechanism as a whole, are the traps able to target specific species or can they be laid in such a way to target a specific animal? There have been, there's been some kind of fiddling with traps over, over the years to, in an attempt. And I think, you know, potentially in a, in a genuine attempt to make them um, be able to target specific animals. Um, so there are what are called dog proof traps, which 
um, are designed for more dexterous animals like raccoons to be able to put their hand into a tube, which the idea is a dog would not be able to do that. And so theoretically, that is targeting animals who have that kind of um, dexterousness of, of raccoons. Um, however, there's evidence that cats have been caught in those traps because cats, of course, can get their little paws into small spaces as well. When we're talking about snares and crony bears, so the body gripping, tra gripping traps, they are, I mean, the animal who walks into those or swims into those is going to be killed. Um, and it may be that they're caught around the leg. It may be that they're caught around the neck. So they're not, they're indiscriminate, even in the sense of how they capture the animal. Um, we had a beaver who had been caught around kind of partially his neck and partially his torso in this investigation. And it looks as though he, the, the way that he died was he was hanged. Um, and that should never happen. The stake should be staked, the snare should be staked into the ground. You know, I would imagine it's little consolation to the animal, even if it's proofed for certain species. It's little consolation if they're the one caught in it. That makes no difference to the suffering of the creature itself. Absolutely. Right. And, and traps that are set for a certain animal, say a larger canine like a, a coyote or a fox, uh, can just as easily capture a sm much smaller animal and cause uh, uh, unspeakable suffering and injuries to the animal. And snares, too. They might set the snare with a certain size of a loop. Uh, to catch a certain animal, but if uh, a larger or smaller animal happens in there and uh, captured around a different part of the body, and, and also mm -hmm. there are some pretty horrifying injuries. So I'm really curious, like, you know, like, well, having watched this footage and also just hearing you guys talk about this, it just sort of seems indefensible. It seems like really hard to argue that there's anything humane at all about this. And, and so I'm curious, like, how do proponents defend it? Like, what are they, what are, what is their case for that this is a remotely defensible activity? Are they genuinely claiming these animals aren't suffering through these practices? Yes. <laughs> In short, yes. Um, and also kind of arguing what tends to happen, what we saw was that the argument would be some kind of argument that these animals deserve to die. Um, and therefore it's deflected. So, um, you know, coyotes deserve to be killed because they may attack livestock. Um, raccoons deserve to be killed because they um, are rabies vector species. So it's kind of what's glossed over is the the way that they're killed and the idea that they're doing some kind of favor either to other animals or to um, humans or their property or something like that by by carrying out the trapping um, mm. and then arguing that you know they no longer generally use the traps with with jaws and uh, with the tooth jaws um, and they're now done. They theoretically don't kind of break a leg. They, they they argue that those traps don't actually injure the animals, but then the evidence shows that that is entirely untrue. Um, and then if, if all that fails, then they go to heritage, that we've always done it this way, this is a tradition, this needs to be preserved. Mm -hmm. So basically the case they're making is that we're no longer smashing animals to death with large tooth, tooth traps, but we are hanging animals instead, and yay for us, this is so much better. Yes. Great. I think you both made the case quite effectively by now that certainly is not a humane practice, but in theory, would there be a way to make this practice humane? Absolutely not. There's no, there is no way to make these contraptions safe or humane because 
even in the best case scenario, even if those, if you imagine those, those dog proof traps, which just hold raccoons, first of all, they have to hold an animal so securely that no matter how they struggle, they cannot get out. That is inevitably going to cause injury. The stress that it causes, um, the fear that it causes, the fact those animals are completely vulnerable. And then the fact that, as you quite rightly say, Alex, all of those animals then die. You know, every mm. single one of them is going to be killed. And, you know, a lot of people will say to our organization, but, you know, you're you're not you're not rural people. You know, you're just pointing the finger. You don't know what it's like to have um, this land and have to protect livestock. Well, I mean, where I'm speaking from right now, we run a large primate sanctuary and we are in rural Texas in the south. Mm. We have 175 acres of land and it is our responsibility to keep our animals safe. Therefore, we provide the correct fencing. We provide, we ensure that the animals who are in our enclosures, who we care for and give them a home for life are safe from predators. Mm. That is our job. That is what we must do. Um, so the idea that, you know, this is the only way to do this isn't true. Our animals here are not getting killed by coyotes. Our animals here are not getting attacked by raccoons. There are different ways of doing things, and that's what has to be developed. I suppose then there is only one solution, and that is that progress that we've discussed already, whether it's the leg hold ban examples, the international examples. Are we making any other progress, any other significant changes on this issue? We have. There's a there's legislation that is in progress that we really hope will um, that will be passed through. So at the moment, there's support for the Refuge from Cruel Trapping Act, which would, believe it or not, you can trap in many wildlife refuges, which is just seems so incredibly hypocritical and against the against the very basis of having wildlife refuges. But there is a piece of legislation which is introduced at the moment, which we are strongly supporting and asking people to support. So there is definitely appetite to see this move forward. As Jill's already said, there are a number of states who have already banned trapping in some form or another. There are a number of countries who ban trapping in some form or another. So it's moving in the right direction, but it's not moving fast enough for those 3 million animals who are caught in traps every single year. So we need to keep pushing for this and we need to keep fighting for it. Definitely more and more citizens are also taking, uh, are going to their state legislatures and their state wildlife commissions. Often these uh, decisions about trapping are made uh, through unelected commissions within the states. And so citizens are, are taking their uh, complaints about trapping to the legislatures and to these commissions and asking them to uh, to further restrict trapping and to ban it altogether. Uh, just recently, uh, a bill was advanced in Vermont uh, that sadly looks like it, it may not be successful, but uh, it would ban legal traps uh, in that state. I'm glad you mentioned that kind of citizen ground up action, Jill, because that is actually a question I have for you both is what are some other important actions that people can take? What can we do to help make progress in this issue besides perhaps what you've already mentioned? Uh, for us, the, the action that we're asking people to take is to contact their representative and ask them to co-sponsor and or support the Refuge from Cruel Trapping Act. It would be a first step. We want to see this band across the country, but it really does feel, it feels like a no-brainer that we should be able to keep wildlife safe on wildlife refuges. So we feel that that would be a very important first step. And uh, we at the HSUS focus very much on state uh, policy reform. So I encourage everyone to get to know the, about the issue more 
and then uh, contact your HSUS state director. You can find them at humanesociety.org slash state directors uh, to find out more about how wildlife is managed in your state and how you can uh, get active in, in making your voice heard in your state legislature and your state wildlife commission about training. Thank you guys so much. This is this has really been um, just disturbing, illuminating. Um, I really appreciate you being here to share this information with us. Um, Alex, thanks for being my co-host on this. Um, all, all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in on this important issue. Hopefully you can go and learn more about this topic and take action in your state, across the country, reach out to your representatives. Uh, you know, these things only get changed through people letting letting the people who are making decisions know that citizens care about it. So appreciate your support. Um, again, our guests today were Jill Fritz, Senior Director of Wildlife Protection Team at the Humane Society of the U.S. and Dr. Liz Tyson, Program Director for Born Free USA. You guys, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.